This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Best Year Ever Live, a three-day transformational event that will help you set powerful, achievable goals, gain support from hundreds of peers, and dedicate time to build out your dreams. Find out more at bestyearever.me slash live. So, Dad, there's this New Year's resolution that I found on social media, and it says, I was going to give up chocolate for New Year's, but then I remembered that nobody (laughs) likes a quitter. (laughs) Here's another one. My resolution was to read more, so I put subtitles on my TV. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I love this one, too. I love when they drop the ball in Times Square because it's a nice reminder of what I did all year. Oh, nice. Mm. For some people, New Year's is really a reminder of what they didn't do. Like the guy who said, may your troubles last only as long as your New Year's resolutions. Yeah, most of us start out with really good intentions. Like 40% of people make a New Year's resolution at some point. They want to do things like lose weight or save money or quit smoking or spend more time with their family. But it's so easy to get motivated right after the holidays, but it sure is hard to keep that motivation going. Yeah, it sure is. Did you know more people join a gym in January? than in any other month. I mean, kind of self-evident, right? But it's expensive. The average cost is about $500 a year, but most of them drop out. In fact, gym owners count on it. They way oversell memberships because they know only about one in six will really use them. Really? One in six? Well, that's actually a better average than most New Year's resolutions. There was a study from the University of Scranton that said about 25% of New Year's resolutions fail in the first week. Another third don't last a month. And only 8% actually make it all year long. So why do you think that is? Do you think maybe people just don't mean it or they're just lazy or maybe it's a willpower problem? I don't think so. I think most people really want positive change in their life. The problem isn't them. It's New Year's resolutions. They just don't work. But we know something that does work for making real transformation in your life. And I think people are really going to want to know about it. So let's get to it. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence. In this episode, we'll tell you about how to make New Year's resolutions that really stick. Most leaders want to make positive changes in their lives, but they've tried and failed many times. But the good news is that we have tons of experience in setting achievable goals. And that's really what New Year's resolutions are, personal goals. Today, we'll show you how to fix your New Year's resolutions by incorporating five key components that make them last all year long. Now you can avoid that sick feeling every January and create a new habit or achievement that will change your life for good. Well, obviously, I love this topic because I love achieving personal goals, always have, always been an achiever, always been a goal setter. But let's be honest, we've all failed at making New Year's resolutions, including me. I mean, I've had New Year's resolutions to do certain things year after year after year, like getting in shape. Mm -hmm. So for years, I wanted to do strength training. I kind of got into cardio training, but I could never seem to get to the gym. You know, running got easy, but working out on equipment was tough. And that was always a New Year's resolutions until I was able to transform it into a goal. So why do you think New Year's resolutions are so hard for people? Well, to put it simply, New Year's resolutions are a flawed system. Yeah, that's true. First of all, it's not about willpower. Mm -hmm. You know, in my observation, people can pretty much do whatever they set their mind to do. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's not really about willpower. The other issue is that resolutions are kind of a faux goal setting system. (laughs) Like, it feels like authentic change, 
but it's not. So when we make a resolution, we get this good feeling from doing it. Yeah. But don't mistake the good feeling for the real action because the good feeling is not going to last. Eventually, you're going to hit what we often refer to as the messy middle right. when it becomes very difficult. Well, eventually, you have to actually do something. That's right. <laughs> And that and that's kind of leads to the third point, which is resolutions are easy to make because there's social support for it. Yeah, that's true. So everybody's talking about it on New Year's Eve. It's kind of the thing to do. You can get swept up in the current. But a few weeks later, you know, where are those same people? I mean, even at the gym, you know, the attendance falls off. I call them the resoluters, but the people that are not at the gym after a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. you know, you can't find parking the first two weeks, but after that, easy. Well, it's kind of like you go into the break room at work and everybody's talking about their resolutions. Everybody's bringing salad to work. Everybody went on a run before they came. (laughs) But give it two weeks and that's all gone. New Year's resolutions just don't work. But really, when you think about it, New Year's resolution is just a goal. Maybe Mm -hmm. not as well formed as it should be. Right. But it's just a goal because most are personal. Many are habit goals. And we've got a ton of experience at goal achievement. It's part of what we do in our company. But we're going to talk today about five key components that make your New Year's goals achievable. So what's the first one? Yeah, so key component number one is a genuine possibility. The truth is, unless we believe that we can reach our goals, we're going to fail. So here's a study. People in their 20s are more likely to achieve a goal than someone in their 50s. 39% actually compared with 14%. And I think the reason is because setbacks and failures convince us that we can't be successful. Have you just noticed that though? Notice people at those different ages? Yeah. I have too, because when, you know, we work with college students through our church and young adults, and they're far more optimistic, right? far more willing to try things, far less set in their ways. But I talk to the same kind of group, the same older group, you know, that's about my age, Those people are so locked in. And I think it really speaks to the limiting beliefs Mm -hmm. that so many of us adopt by that that age. I I often think of limiting beliefs like barnacles on a ship. Hmm. You know, you don't have to consciously attach them to the ship. It's just going to happen from being in the water. And I have to confront my own limiting beliefs every year. But if you don't have a process for confronting those on a regular basis and asking yourself, what's holding me back? What are the assumptions and the underlying beliefs that are keeping me stuck? If you don't have a way of doing that... You kind of, uh, I don't know what another metaphor for this would be. What do you call it when your bones get brittle and hard? Osteoporosis. Yeah. I mean, it's like mental version of that. Yeah. Right? The older you get. Yeah. So you've got to consciously work against that. One of the things that we talk about is taking your limiting belief, identifying it, and then replacing it with a liberating truth. For example, I'm too old, that's a limiting belief, with it's never too late, which is a liberating truth. Another limiting belief is I probably can't, and a liberating truth would be I can achieve what I focus on. Another limiting belief is I can't change, and the liberating truth would be I can learn and grow. So those are very different, and when you realize that those beliefs are driving your behavior, it's super important to get those sorted out because otherwise there's kind of this unconscious engine that's driving your choices. Yeah, and I think this takes some Mm self-awareness. You know, we got to be aware of what Brooke Castillo calls the sentences in our head, right? you know, which are basically just our thoughts, and to literally write those down. What's keeping us stuck? Like, for example, I have talked to a lot of people that say, you know, they're too old to build a platform, for example, uh-huh. you know, a social platform. Uh, and then other people say, well, I'm too young. Who would listen to me? I don't have any authority. Mm-hmm. Well, all those can be changed by writing a liberating truth that counters that limiting belief. And I suggest writing these down and repeating them. It's kind of like daily affirmations, but it's a little bit different, and it's different in this way. It's not, you know, the, the kind of affirmation that says, you know, every day in every way I'm getting better and better. Right. You know, or some crazy, 
you know, just super aspirational, super aspirational, but it's got to be true. Mm -hmm. And this is true. When you say, instead of I'm too old, when you say it's never too late, that's truth. Right. You know, I think Colonel Sanders started KFC, which is big restaurant chain here in the U.S., when he was over 60 years old. Wow. You know, I didn't actually start working out till I was 50 Hmm. and I was in terrible shape, but I got in the best shape of my life. I'm still in the best shape of my life, but it's never too late. That's great. And that's what I repeat in my head. So what are some of the limiting beliefs that you struggled with? Well, I'm not very good at the money. Mm-hmm. That was like a major one. I think that was in large part just, you know, I didn't grow up in a very prosperous home. Mm-hmm. And so having a lot of money was not something I was good at. So that when I started making money, I wasn't very good at managing it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, over time, this kind of developed and I had a few setbacks and I thought, well, I'm not very good with money. Mm-hmm. So what about for you? Um, I would say the same thing that I'm not very good at managing money. So when I was in my early 20s and, you know, I'm just kind of starting out, I was really bad at, you know, balancing my checkbook and handling all that kind of stuff. That was back when you had to actually balance your checkbook because it wasn't all what? online. <laughs> I know. Back and when you I, could add and right, subtract right, right. in your head. I've since lost those skills. Um, but that was really limiting for me. And I've since discovered that those are actually skills that I can learn. And I'm now very proficient at those things and handle our personal finances you know, pretty easily and like and, a ninja and actually enjoy it. Yeah. But I would have never thought that was true years ago. To make a New Year's resolution that will stick, the first key component is a genuine possibility. Dad, what's the second? The second key component is a fresh start. You really need closure on negative experiences, particularly for the past year. Mm-hmm. So I'm not talking about, you know, deep childhood traumas, things that you should legitimately get counseling or therapy for. Right. But just the kinds of, you know, things that happened to us over the course of the past year, the negative things that happened. If we don't process those, mm-hmm. if we don't have a mechanism for working through them, then we, um, we're we tempted to drag the worst of our past into the best of our future. So I'm talking about things like where we missed our goals. Or maybe unrewarded effort. You know, we did something and we weren't acknowledged at work or at home and we're a little frustrated or angry or get stuck with that. Or squandered opportunities. Maybe there were things that came to us and we just flubbed it. You know, we just, we didn't follow through, whatever it was. Those are the things that we have to process. And the biggest issue is these are the things that ding our confidence. Yeah, this is huge. And so they cause us to hesitate. So we consider a new opportunity or we consider a new goal and instead of really leaning into it and giving it our best effort, there's that nagging little voice in the back of our head that that reminds us, hey, mm-hmm. last time you tried this, remember how you fell flat on your face? Yeah. Or remember how you overshot the goal? You know, remember how you got embarrassed in front of everybody? So we want to process those things and acknowledge them. And, and usually it's as simple as recognizing it, maybe right. talking through it with a friend or journaling with it, mm-hmm. and then you're done. Yeah, because you really need to be honest about four things. First of all, what you wanted to have happen. Second, what actually happened. Third, why it happened. And fourth, what has to change in the future. Yeah, another context, we call this an after-action review. Mm-hmm. But it's basically an after-action review in reflecting upon the past year. Yeah. And another part of the after-action review that we do in almost every other context, whether it's the weekly preview in the Full Focus Planner or the quarterly preview, which mm-hmm. I just finish this weekend, or it's uh, even an event or something we're trying to process, is we talk about what went right. Yes. And I think that so often when we look at the past, we beat ourselves up or we focus on the negative, Mm -hmm. when the truth is there's a ton of stuff that happened that was positive. Right. I think it's the way we've been conditioned. 
Yes. You know, we're trained to notice the negative. Yeah. You know, you turn in your paper at school and the teacher only looks for the mistakes, not what you got right. You're yeah. very rarely commended on what you got right. Yeah. It's usually the red marks are on the mistakes and that's how you're graded. Mm-hmm. We learn over years to think that way and to think away that way about this past year will not serve you for setting up this next year in the best way possible. And I literally write down my wins mm-hmm. and I make this a practice, you know, in every area of my life but particularly when I'm thinking about the next year and about goal setting. So this is one of the things I love about doing the quarterly preview process that we have mm-hmm. in the full focus planner, um, because I often forget. I, I mean, know. I have to actually go back to my weekly previews in the planner to see what my wins were each week. That's how I, that's kind of my little hack for doing that on a quarterly basis. Because honestly, I usually remember the negative stuff, but I forget all the amazing things that happened and it's only magnified on an annual scale. Well, I do the exact same thing. Like I said, I did my quarterly preview this last weekend and I literally had to flip back through my weekly previews because the things that were the failures, right? Those, those are very I didn't present. Have, I didn't need any reference for yeah. that. That was in my head. It was very present to me. Mm-hmm. But the wins were not. But the wins are probably the most important thing you want to drag into this next year yeah. if you want to start with confidence and lean into your goals. Absolutely. So key component one in making a New Year's goal achievable is a genuine possibility. Key component number two is a fresh start. And what's key component number three? Key component number three is an effective design. The truth is that New Year's resolutions are just fatally flawed. Like you just need to throw them out the window. You can't redeem them. Never make them again. They're just not worth your time. They're they're doomed to fail. For example, they're just too vague, like get in shape or save more money. I mean, how do you know if you've done that or not? Exactly. Right? You can't Just an aspiration. It. Yeah. Also, they lack accountability. There's no deadline. If you say something like, you know, I want to take a vacation this year, maybe for the first time in a long time, or something else, if there's no deadline, then how can you hold yourself accountable to actually accomplishing the goal? Before we get into the smarter framework, because I know that's where you're going, is that I I think we have to recognize that these are simply the statement of an aspiration. It's something you want. It's a little bit vague. And that's where every goal starts, and that's okay. Yeah. It's not that New Year's resolutions are bad in in and of themselves. It's just that they don't go far enough. Right. So what we want to take is that aspiration, and we want to turn that into something that's actionable that you can actually achieve. It's kind of like the kindling. It just it's going to start the fire, but it's not going to take you the distance. That's no the way perfect to do way to think about it. Yeah. Okay. So in Best Year Ever, we teach the smarter framework. So Why? That- because smart goals aren't enough. Smart goals aren't enough. That's right. You have to have smarter goals. That's right. So here are the components of the smarter framework. First of all, your goals need to be specific. So not vague, specific. They need to be measurable. Include a number if you can. That's right. right? Include a number if you can. How do you know when it's done? They need to be actionable. Which means they need to start with a verb. They need to start with a verb. Right. Not a state of being, but it needs to be an action verb. Like walk, run, exercise, eat, you know, not like... Be a more consistent blogger. Right. You know, that's a, that's a state of being. Right. Next is risky. I mean, these need to be outside of your comfort zone. But not, not in your delusional not zone. Not delusional. Right. And you have to remember that your goals are in relationship to one another. So you have to make sure you're evaluating risky, you know, in the context of your other goals. But that's really important because if it's too easy, it's not compelling. And if it's too hard in the delusional zone, then you'll just shut down and, right. you know, throw in the towel. Self-sabotage. Time key, that's really important. So how often are you going to do something? And by when are you going to do something? You know, there has to be something, again, this is kind of part of making it actionable. Exciting. You know, if you are not excited about your goals, you probably have a project 
Okay. That you need to do. So talk about the difference between projects okay. and goals. So I just dealt with this this weekend. There was somebody in our private Facebook group for Best Year Ever who had a goal of decluttering their house. So they wanted to declutter the whole house. And this person said, I am just stuck on this goal. I'm having right. a hard time, you know, getting started. And she said, I wonder if it's related to the fact that it's not exciting to me. And so I commented, I said, bingo. I said, this is a project, not a goal. So here's the thing to remember. Every goal is a project. That's how I think of it. It's a, it's a project. But not every project can be a goal because not every project is exciting. Some stuff just needs to be done. But if it can't be exciting, don't put it on your goal list. Right. And that's totally subjective because for some people, totally. organizing your house, you know, you go to the container store, you read the magazines, you're, you know, on Pinterest. I mean, that could be really fun for you the only or time, not. <laughs> the only time I get really excited about decluttering is when I have a book or something I have to write. Yes. And then I can find all kinds of things that are a whole lot easier and more fun than right. writing. Yeah. But that's not what we're talking about. No, that's what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And then finally, relevant. This is so important. And this is what most people forget because relevant is all about, is it relevant to the season of your life that you're in? You know, does this make sense when you look at the rest of your life? And so people get into trouble here, especially when they're talking about things like maybe saving money or their health. And it's they're very aspirational. You know, they think, I, you know, I'm going to work out an hour and a half a day, but they forget that they have a five-month-old and they're not sleeping at night. <laughs> and, you know, there's no right. way that they can get up early enough to make that happen. Or, you know, they they want to save money, but they're in the process of completing their graduate degree and they're living on nothing, you know, like it's just not a relevant goal. And so this is a very important check on the rest of your goals to make sure that they're appropriately relevant to your life. Well, let's talk about this habit goal about a morning routine, mm -hmm. because you and I have very, yes. very different morning routines right. that are they reflect where we are in our lives. Yes. Right? So for me, I basically, you know, I get up at five in the morning. Yep. And basically my morning routine takes me till about eight, actually about 8.15. Yeah. So I have the luxury of doing that because I'm an empty nester. Yes. You know, I've got lots of time on my hands, more or less. But you're very different position. Right. So talk about yours. Well, I have four kids and two kids who are young enough that they need help still getting ready for school in the morning, who are eight and 10 right. at this recording. And so I'm, you know, making lunches in the morning and checking homework and looking at folders. So my morning routine looks like having a cup of coffee, doing about a five minute devotional, doing my planner for the day. And then I got for a short walk. You know, it's about 30 minutes, maybe as much as 40, um, you know, in the, in the best case scenario. But I don't go to the gym because that involves extra time to get there. So right. I walk in my neighborhood because that makes it easier. Um, when my kids were even younger and sleeping less reliably, it was just the coffee plus five minute devotion. That's all I did. And that was the great thing about that was I realized I could get traction and be consistent almost no matter what, because it was the bar was so low and that got me started. Well, just as an aside on a habit goal, because mm -hmm. we distinguish in Best Year yes. Ever between an achievement goal and a habit goal. So a habit goal is something you're going to be wanting to, to uh, install in your life that yes. you can do over and over again, right. maybe for the rest of your life. But I think the thing that, that is important to remember when you're doing a habit goal, especially like exercise or devotion or something in a morning routine, mm -hmm. is you want to set the bar low enough that you can do it when you really get busy and yes. you're not as motivated. Right. Because you know how it is. Like I just actually started a new gym membership today. Mm -hmm. Well, I bought some new shoes yesterday. 
you know, I got all excited about, you know, going to the gym and I saw the gym and it blew me away and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I could spend the morning here. Yeah. You know, well, that's not probably going to be every morning, probably right. three months from now. It's going to be very different from that. So I got to set the bar low enough that it's going to be easy to do on a consistent basis. Yeah. Consistent is better than, you know, something that you can't achieve on a regular basis. Totally. The way I like to say it is don't underestimate the power of incremental change over time. Yes. So if you do small actions and you do them consistently over a long period of time, they will lead to big results. And you can build on it later. If you get consistent with something at a lower level, you can always add to it later. And that's what I've done with my morning routine over the years. Excellent. Hello, everybody. Mike Boyer here once again for the content team at Michael Hyatt and Company. I hope you're benefiting from the discussion of achievable personal goals. Before we dive back into the discussion, here's a tip for you. By subscribing to this podcast, you can get fresh content and actionable insights delivered straight to your device each and every week. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button on iTunes or wherever you listen. If you need help with that, just visit lead2.win slash subscribe. It's super easy. And while you're there, be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode. There's also a complete transcript and links to other helpful content, including this week's Michael Hyatt magazine. That's all found at lead2.win. Now, back to the show. So the three key components we've talked about so far are a genuine possibility, a fresh start, and an effective design. So what's number four? Key component number four, an intrinsic motivation. So everybody starts a new year with a high level of motivation. You know, you're pumped up. You bought your new gym shoes, you joined the gym club, whatever it is, you're excited about taking on the world, but that doesn't last very long. Mm -hmm. You know, all of us run out of gas. And the reason is that we have uh, a lack of compelling intrinsic, and by that I mean mm -hmm. an internal motivation. So here's some examples of weak motivations and then some compelling ones sort of, you know, to, to fix them. Mm -hmm. So you might have this, um, this motivation, I want to get in shape better motivation. I want energy to succeed at work. That's what motivates me to work right. out. Right. Way more compelling. It's not how I feel at the gym. It's because of my activity at the gym, how I feel the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. Here's another one. I want to save more. Here would be a better motivation. I want a beach vacation for my family. Yeah. In other words, focusing on where the saving's going to lead. Or I want to read more. Instead, turn that into something like, I want to be a thought leader. And the reading is a necessary component of that. So to be successful, you got to state why. You know, as your mother loves to say, people lose their way when they lose their why. And so we got to get back and connect with that why. What's your why? And particularly what's at stake if you achieve it? And what's at stake if you don't? Like, for example, if I don't have the energy that I need to do my work, and I do a lot of front stage kind of stuff, mm -hmm. whether it's webinars or public speaking like I did all last week, you know, I need energy for that. Yeah. And I can't fake it. Actually, I can fake it a little bit. But not for a sustained period. But for not for a sustained period of, of time. So I think of it as, you know, kind of the tune-up before the performance. Mm -hmm. And if I don't do that, I'm not going to be able to perform at my best. So that's the why, and that's the thing that keeps me going, uh, working out. It's really good. So uh, how do you keep that motivation fresh throughout the whole year? Because, you know, it's one thing to feel really motivated at the beginning of the year, even if it is an intrinsic motivation, but then life gets busy and things happen. So what's the secret? Well, one of the things I try to do on a weekly basis during my weekly preview is review my goals. And I don't re just review the goals at the front of the Focus Planner, which is a simple list of the goals, mm -hmm. but then I go over to the goal detail pages 
where we ask people, and I do this, is write out my three top whys for each goal. So I review those and I try to connect not just intellectually, but emotionally. And what I'm looking at is what's at stake. What's at stake if I achieve that goal? And what's at stake if I don't achieve that goal? Mm -hmm. And so I connect with that again once a week and even at a deeper level, like I just did this past weekend when I was going through my quarterly preview. Yeah. So a few years ago, when I was really working to install this habit of a morning ritual, you know, I, I just couldn't really connect with the why. I was tired when I woke up in the morning. This is, you know, several months in, the, the shine had kind of worn off. And it was really difficult to keep going. And what I realized, because, you know, my life is busy with kids in the morning and lots of the things going on, is that the why for me is that I need time for myself. You know, if I'm going to be a great mom, if I'm going to be a great leader in our business, I have to have time to myself. I have to, even if it's just a little bit, um, that's critically important. And I think I was making it more about I'm supposed to do this. I I think, honestly, what happened is I got kind of focused on the uh, external motivation, you know, that this Mm -hmm. is something that that you do. And so I should do it, you know, that kind of thing. And that's oftentimes what happens for people. Somebody else is doing something and they feel like they should do it. And I really had to come back to this is this is a gift to myself. Even if no one else ever sees it, this is critical for me being at my best to start my day. And if no matter what else happens, I will have accomplished this. And that was very motivating for me. You know, I, I want to dive just for a minute into the intrinsic versus extrinsic distinction, you know, and probably a simpler, better way to say that is just internal versus external. Yeah. But like good reasons would not be, you know, my boss wants me to do this. Right. Or my spouse wants me to do this. Right. Or the government wants me to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to find your own reasons. You know, your own internal reasons that drive you. Mm -hmm. And that's a good example of what you did with your morning routine. But we have to, we have to, even if we're being coerced or compelled or encouraged by somebody, if we don't dig deeper into our own internal motivation, that external one is going to wear off very quickly. And in fact, it may work against us because we resent it and we start sabotaging ourselves. So the key components so far, a genuine possibility a fresh start, an effective design, and an intrinsic motivation. Meg, what's number five? So key component number five is an implementation plan. And one of the main reasons that people fail at setting goals is that they don't have an implementation plan. You know, good intentions are no substitute for a sound tactical plan. For example, if you're going to exercise, what time of day are you going to exercise? You have to kind of like put yourself in the situation and start to imagine how it's going to happen. Uh, How much money will you save and will you use an automatic deposit? How will you track your progress on a spreadsheet or a planner? And when and how will you review your goals? People often don't think about these next actions and how they're going to make things happen. And then they get all excited, but they sort of have nowhere to go with their motivation and their desire. And it just falls flat. I think we kind of have to confront sort of this um, present day myth, you know, the secret. Do you remember that book? Oh, gosh. Okay. so I hate that book. Can I be honest? Well, I actually liked it at the time, but the problem is it didn't go far enough because it basically said you could do everything we described up until this point, but you didn't need an implementation plan because yeah. you just have to put it out there to the well, universe and you're magically going to attract it, you know, the law of attraction and all that. And there's a certain part of that that's true, which is why it resonated with millions of people. Plus, let's face it, it's a whole lot easier than doing the work. Well, that's the thing. Here's what I hate about it. It's magical thinking. It's magical thinking. And Perfect. life is not magic. Life is about taking action, and certainly you have to be inspired, and you have to have clarity on your vision for what you want, yep. but it's not about 
magical thinking and just kind of like manifesting things. Like you have, you have to do something. <laughs> well, we're going to get mail on this. I can tell you right now. <laughs> well, but sorry, but I want to hear, I want people to hear what we're not saying. There is a part of that that's true. In other words, if you're focused, if you have a clear goal, yes. that's going to attract resources. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to be clear. There is an element that's true. So when you've got clarity about your goal, you're going to become much more attractive to the kinds of partners you need the kinds of resources, the investment that you need to make it all work, but not in some kind of woo-woo sense or some mystical sense where the the universe is going to deliver this to your doorstep. And it really takes an implementation plan. I I can tell you as somebody who's an investor, you know, I'm looking for people that are able to execute. Anybody who can go on the internet can find out the format to create a brilliant business plan. But to be able to create that plan and to be able to execute against that plan, two different things. Absolutely. So you've got to have an implementation plan, especially when it involves your personal goals. And that's what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. So we spent a lot of time on this in the Best Year Ever course and in the book, Your Best Year Ever. Also, one of the things we talk about there are activation triggers, which is sort of a part of this implementation planning. So talk a little bit about what those are and how people can use them, especially for habit goals. Yeah. So an activation trigger is basically a way that catapults you into the action that you need in order to accomplish the goal. So for example, one of the things that I face, one obstacle that I face when I want to work out is I get up in the morning, I'm kind of groggy. I don't have my clothes laid out. You know, if I can uh, use an activation trigger that sets out where I set out my clothes the night before, mm-hmm. then I walk into the bathroom kind of groggy. There's my clothes. They're already right. set out. So that's an activation trigger. Remind yeah. me of my intention to exercise. I do the same simple. thing with my morning rituals. So I leave my planner and my devotional book right by the chair that I always sit in with my coffee. And I just know like, right, I sit down and it's right there. It's like, I can't miss it. And that's been a big secret to my success. It just automates that behavior. Today, we've learned that New Year's resolutions simply don't work, but you can succeed by adding five key components to your New Year's goals a genuine possibility of fresh start, an effective design, an intrinsic motivation, and an implementation plan. Before we go, I just want to remind you that you can achieve your personal goals with an effective goal strategy, and this could be your best year ever. Dad, any final thoughts? Yeah, I would embrace New Year's resolutions as far as they go. You want to make changes this next year. You want a better year this next year than you've had this past year. But don't just stop with New Year's resolutions. Go ahead and make the effort to turn them into goals using these five key components that we've talked about today. This is going to make them much more achievable and much more likely that you're going to have your best year ever. If you've enjoyed today's episode, you can get the show notes, including a full transcript at lead2.win. Thanks again for joining us on Lead to Win. Also, please tell your friends and colleagues about it and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. We invite you to join us next week when we'll do a deep dive on goal achievement. I'll tell you about the four horsemen of goal failure. Don't miss it. Until then, lead to win. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Best Year Ever Live, a three-day transformational event that will help you set powerful, achievable goals gain support from hundreds of peers, and dedicate time to build out your dreams. Find out more at bestyearever.me live.